To mark the 60th birthday of Doctor Who, we're joined this week by the woman who first joined the cast 37 years ago. She is the irrepressible Bonnie Langford, ever perky, but sometimes reflective. You do wonder who is seeing you for you and who is seeing you for what it might do to them or whatever. And I was, you know, I just found it hard to trust people. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. So, welcome and bienvenue, and welcome to another How to Be 60 podcast with me, Kay Adams, and she, Karen McKenzie, who I'm very delighted to say has finally taken my advice and she is about to get her crooked teeth fixed. No, I'm well not. done, you. I was at the dentist well this done. morning. I'm just, I feel like I've got a hole between my bottom two teeth. I think you must have taken out so much muck. It feels like there's a wee hole in between them now. Anyway, he said my gums are in very good shape. For a woman your age. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. <laughs> it's a really bad thing when you go to the dentist to get your gums looked at rather than your teeth but is he going, oh. to, is he going to straighten them up no i don't get rid of the yellow <laughs> you're such a cow honest to god i wouldn't mind if you were perfect but looking at you the teeth are good though come I, on it costs a lot of I, money these teeth thing i come in here today you've locked me out of your wi-fi what the hell you're selling the house and you've locked me out i can't access it i've grabbed your phone well let's trying to get connected you, to that if you would stop going on pornographic sites i would let you and my <laughs> wi-fi but my reputation will not allow your search history so, that's all i can say now listen we're gonna have to raise our game and be perky this week not the two miserable scottish trouts that we normally are oh, that's quite hard yeah, i know i know i know we're gonna it. need a bit of all that jazz yeah 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 i'm up for that tits and teeth tits and even your crooked ones, and that's your tits I'm talking about. <laughs> You're so funny, Kate. Honestly, I'm doubled up laughing. Because Bonnie Langford's coming on, so we need a bit of the wow factor. Actually, I'm seeing doubled up. My God, she is bendy, isn't uh, she? she is. So tell me the most exciting thing that's happened to you this week. Go on. God, you know, well, actually, no, it's been quite a full week, a full week. Um, my neighbour uh, has started a knitting bee. Oh. And can I just show you? <laughs> uh, no, no, listen. This is the pattern. Look at it. So it's an old black and white. Jesus Christ, that's not even the century. No, hold on a minute. Isn't it fantastic? It says, for the bigger, for the man. bigger man, it's sixpence, the old 6D. Oh, wow. And, and it's got all these, He's got the bigger man. He's got an amazing body, this guy. He's got a bowler hat. It's like something out of the God knows the 30s. And then, so it's got all the instructions so you're on actually how to do it. And then, on 1940, page nine, pattern. you have been warned. What? And then Fernard basically said, it's all very well doing your knitting and all the rest of it. But when it comes to basically tidying up and, and doing the rest of the garment, and you're a bit slack. This attitude is fatal. And this is what I'm knitting. Look at that. I'm just going to take it out very briefly. I, I, I did see the, no, no, I no, did no. See the most exciting. Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that gorgeous? So I've just now, kind of sew it together. It is a little... Actually... Six-month-old lime green little cardigan with bobbles on it. That took a lot of YouTubing. But the knitting bee has come just at the right time because one of my elderly neighbours, who's just turned 80, happy birthday, actually helped me to know how well she helped me teach me to sew it up oh. so isn't that great i'm actually hang on let me see that i'm gonna have to be nice to you now which is you know goes against the grain but this is a matinee jacket for not, not a matinee jacket it's got buttons right but down. it's for the baby presumably it's not a matinee a matinee jacket has two buttons in the top and then goes sort of a line i heard you so animated in your life <laughs> I bloody difference. i'm it's a so excited coat thing 
It's my little grandchild. Can I ask you why you chose lime green? It, well, it was the picture that was in the pattern. So I just thought I'd go It's with black that. and white. So that was that. that. That's mildly exciting, anything else? Uh, no, it's... Oh, it's very God, bright. That. I had to clean the freezer, right? So oh, right, but this is just going to I've open, got a deep it? freeze, a chest I've freezer I've got Bonnie upstairs. Langford on, be excited. No, listen, I've got a chest freezer upstairs in the loft. That's for the men that didn't make it in my life. Body parts in there. <laughs> Nobody ever goes up there except me. <laughs> they didn't survive my wrath. So, um, but aside from oh, that, uh, like only murders in the building. God, but three years ago, um, I got a batch of dodgy fish from dodgy men. Richard, <laughs> one of the other dodgy men in my life, the girl's dad. Oh my it's god, Richard up there. It was stinking. Not as far as I can remember. He didn't make it to <laughs> He got away. He's the one that got away. Uh, Oh, jeez. And and I have cleaned the freezer a couple of times since then. And I spoke to my sister, who's actually got a book out in vinegar and kind of like clean stuff. And uh, she said, I think it's in the fabric of the freezer. She's got a fishy so freezer. So I was up there with my Milton sterilizing tabs and cleaning it in my bicarb and my lemon. And do you know what? I'm not quite sure. Bonnie's looking distressed. Look at her face. <laughs> so my life has been hectic. It has been hectic. And of course, my sister's coming down, the one from Chicago. She's coming down tonight. So I need to be out of here kind of sharp to get on with the cooking. So it's just all go. This retirement malarkey is so busy. <laughs> no. What have you been up to, Kate? Oh, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> not work, me, no not me, no, no, um I was hoping you'd bring some of your bread because actually your bread looked quite nice on the WhatsApp group. That's oh God, I've started that again. Yeah. But I was a bit concerned about the the markings on it. Well, do you know it's a bit of a random thing because so making sourdough, you have to get it from and I can't remember the little thing that you bake. You you kind of oh, I'm so stupid. Anyway, you have to turn it over very quickly and before the air goes out of it, you have to get a really sharp implement and cut it. And you have to do it very quickly before it goes and collapses and then get it in the oven. And so I was just randomly with this razor blade. And then when it came out, a bit, it looked a bit phallic-y, didn't it? It did look it like did. And it that did. was so unintentional. It did it look did. like you had drawn a penis on it top did. of the sourdough. And I said to Stephen, does this remind you of anything? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's just because it's a memory loss. Or... I think it, was it a subliminal love token for Stephen? Well, it was certainly semi-tumescent. Was it? Maybe you were trying to encourage him to rise. <laughs> like the bread. <laughs> I'll go at it again, actually. Yeah, all right, okay. Forget Viagra, just put some yeast in his tea. You never know it might work. Now, we're building oh, up me. to the email of the week. Oh, I do like these emails. Now, of course, we were too embarrassed to do this one. In front oh, this is the one, yes. We were too embarrassed to do this in front of Sally Denever, Sally Webster from Coronation Street. Yeah. But we decided, didn't we, that Bonnie Langford... She'd be well, really you on your own. <laughs> Don't take me into it. She's, you know, she's been there. She's done it. She's, you know, been in the theatre world since she was. She doesn't know what's coming. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I was confident that she would be happy in a way that Sally wouldn't be to talk about vibrators, and so that's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially when when Bonnie hears about my plan to launch a sex toy called Opportunity Knock. She's going to be on it. <laughs> She's probably not heard that one before. <laughs> and I mean that most sincerely, folks. Um, <laughs> She's even more supple than your Aggie as Bonnie. I know that actually. The splits. Can, on stage. Can Aggie still get her ankles oh, around No problem. She? Oh, my gosh. She's very she agile. Will. She'll be, uh, let me just think. Gosh, she's four years older than me. 76. 76. <laughs> <laughs> I 
67. and she can still get her ankles oh, round her God. ears. No problem. Um, now, I was thinking about um, Fiona Lambert that we spoke to a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, of course, was in the best shape of her life at yeah. 60. And I was thinking that because obviously Bonnie's super fit, etc. Um, it's leaving us a bit. I know, I know, I know, because uh, Loose Women did an Instagram thing of me and Nadia the other week and just one of these stupid ask you question things like we do on this podcast. Um, (laughs) And I wasn't listening to a word that she said or I said or whatever. All I could see was I was wearing a pleather skirt. So the light was hitting it. All right. And my belly. Okay. uh It looked like Jupiter had settled on my waistline. Like oh, something out the solar. It was a melon. Oh, oh God. I was a just watermelon. Lo- no, I wouldn't say. I would say. No. I would say cantaloupe. Oh, I wouldn't right, say it was right. a watermelon. But I just thought, Jesus Christ, the state of my. You know, you just what you've all got. It's always been my belly. That's, That's it. Always been the thing for me is is my belly because we know I've got better arms than you. You have better legs. Than you, you have, but you've got better belly. Well, well, have you? It's not as big as mine. Kate, no, you're right. I have. Yeah, because I've you seen have. you at work, and I thought oh, you're slouching. I think, oh no, no, you're not actually you're sitting up, but the belly's still there. I know, I know, it's true. I, I, I do, know. I do. So ab work. Well, I'm starting to, but what I was thinking is because Fiona Lambert said that she gave up sugar. Oh God, yeah, that's completely miserable for, for 21 days. Oh, God, and I was thinking we could do that. Your arse. There is <laughs> no way on earth. I'd be come on just twenty one days. Let's just oh do it together. One day, I'd do it for one day, maybe two days at a push. Come on, let's do it. Let's You're do it. Listening. You never listen to what I say. Look at what I'm saying. You can't. I'm distracted by your teeth. <laughs> I call wrong with my. Well, okay, maybe just one or two. If you give up sugar, I'm going to do it. For how long? 21 days. She said, do it for 21 days and it's a lifestyle change. And then I'm going to have a slim belly. Cherry tomatoes. She said, that'll be my treat at the end of the day. I'm going to have cherry tomatoes. It was. Nuts as well. All right. Almonds. Right. Okay. So you're not going to do it? No, I'll do it for two days. All right. You do it for two days, which will be absolutely effing useless. And I'll do it for 21. Are you really? Well, I'm going to try. Seriously. So that's no fruit either. No, and I'm going on the night sleeper tonight, and they always leave on your bunk two bars of Mackey's milk chocolate, and I love Mackey's milk chocolate. Right, I want a picture of them tomorrow morning in front of a newspaper to make sure that they're still there. Right, I will, I will. Anyway, shall we get on to the yeah, email of yeah. the week? Because yes, I know that yes, Bonnie is going yes. to be all ears. Be that is, of course, unless her ankles are stuck to them and she can't oh. hear what we're saying. So here we go. Now, it's anonymous, perhaps for obvious reasons. That's interesting. Yes, unless this person is called Anne On, on. but I think it's anonymous. Dear Karen and Kay, Uh I recently purchased a rocket. Ooh. Now, of course, we know what that is. We're not salad, are we? No, it's an erotic rocket. Aye. Remember, it's not a vibrator, actually. Erotic rocket. It's a clitoral stimulator, isn't it? and it's about $15.99 or something like that. Oh, thank you for that. (laughs) Aaron and Kay. <laughs> About I said. <laughs> but there's a discount code. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> I think that's with the discount code. No, I'm joking. On you go. Hurry up. Dear Karen and Kay, I recently purchased a rocket, an erotic rocket on your recommendation with rechargeable batteries. I'm not sure it was our recommendation. Come on, you're the Bible queen. I have blocked out me time for using it. That's excellent. However, I find getting alone time in the house difficult. Can you suggest suitable locations? 
Many thanks. Soon to be happy, 54-year-old. Now, I don't know whether she's soon to be 54 or she is 54 and she's soon to be happy. When she finds her me time in a suitable space in the house. Indeed. Indeed. She also says, P.S. I love your podcast and honest, real discussion. So you are the viable queen. I have already confessed that I've never possessed such a thing. Go on then. Oh, no, it's not a case of it. It's just finding a suitable place. It's not the bathroom. I mean, it's got to be somewhere warm. Comfortable. Where did you go in your house? I've not used it for ages. <laughs> in the attic in the freezer, yes. <laughs> My God. <laughs> that is so not going to, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, Lordy Lord. Come on. Uh, she's looking for advice. Okay, then. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would just go for the bedroom. I know it sounds a bit, you just want to be cosy and warm and comfortable and, and and not on the ground floor because if the postie comes and, you know, like you don't answer the door at the first ring, they're at, at the window with their hands cupped. It's all right, eyes. the postman always rings twice. No. <laughs> today. Uh, so, yeah, somewhere, if you can, on, a vel- a vel- an, on, on an elevated area room. So, yeah, just warm and cosy, that's all I'd say. Just warm and sure. cosy and, yeah. and as high in the house as you can possibly go. Without going into the attic. Right. Okay. Yes. Well, we maybe have to ask for... It's quite cold in these attics sometimes. ...advice from other people on this. So yes. Podcast at htb60.com. Um, Karen wasn't particularly helpful with that, but if you can be more helpful... that Oh, yes. hang on, she's waking up. In the utility room. Um, with the washing machine giving you a helping hand on <laughs> high spin, 1200's always a good start. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, as I say, podcast at htb60.com. Yeah. And also, we just love to know how you're getting on uh, with the 60 or soon to be 60, or indeed, in our emailer's case, soon to be happy. Yes, there we go. We'll speak to Bonnie Langford after this. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, sweetheart. That's hilarious. I'm getting very entertained. It's fabulous. I knew you'd be relaxed about that kind of chat, Bonnie. I was right, wasn't I? Oh, it's absolutely. It's hilarious. Do you ever watch Grace? Do you ever watch Grace and Frankie? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You see, they get in all sorts of trouble with their vibrators and goodness. You know, I only saw about the first maybe half dozen episodes. Oh, Lily Tomlin and she's Jane the best. Fonda. Right. Oh, yes. so yeah. Tomlin. Hilarious. Yeah. So where did they yeah. go? Where did they go to use theirs? Do you know, I don't know. They were just trying to sell them. They created oh. them, didn't they? Didn't they yeah. design one? And then they just tried to sell them. And then they got into all sorts of trouble because, you know, they would be delivered to the wrong place or they would send them somewhere. <laughs> And then she, she didn't. She also invent a toilet seat that lifted up. So if you had trouble with, you know, getting up with mobility, but it ended up throwing people across the other side of the room <laughs> in the middle of whatever they should be doing. Yeah, it was there was much comedic activity to be had. 
<laughs> with all their different things. That was what was quite funny. It was how to how to grow old disgracefully, you know. Oh, I've watched that a bit more, I think. But can Jane Fonda still get her ankles round her ears, Bonnie? And indeed, can you? Most likely, I think Jane Fonda probably definitely can. May need a little assistance, but I'm sure she can try. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and can I like, sort of? Yes, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. That's incredible. The knees, it's the knees. It's the knees. It's not the work. It's the stairs, as the actress said to the bishop. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes, in, especially in the winter, you sort of think, okay, we're just got to creak awake. A little bit of the tin man oiling the old thing. Does one need to prove these things so much anymore? No. Well, that is true. And funny enough, I don't know if you were listening when I was going on about my gargantuan belly and I was looking at it and thinking... You haven't got a gargantuan belly. You haven't. Honestly, it, you know, she's nodding. It, it's okay. it's big, bigger than it should be. It is bigger than it should be. But then you think, well, when do you stop obsessing about how you look, you know, and, and sort of comparing yourself to... Are prime now. Presumably, in your career, all of your life, people have focused on the way you look, and you will have focused on the way you look. Is there a point? Do you think that we just have to accept? I mean, I'm sixty. Does it matter if I've got a bit of a belly? No, it really doesn't. What's more important is that you are joyful and uh, that you have a, a radiance from within. That is more important than anything. But it takes a huge amount as women. We are worse to each other and we are worse about ourselves. I am very self-critical, but I try to think, do you know what? The world will still turn. Mm. There is so much going on. Does it really matter? And there will always be somebody who turns down and goes, oh, you don't look good in that. Oh, you're too this, you're too that, you're too the other. Do you know what? Just look. So have you come to that place then over time? Because you genuinely have been in the spotlight really all your life, we can say. So presumably you have been used to being judged and commented upon all, all of my your... life. All How my has that life. been? Sometimes really hard. I mean, as I say, we're all vulnerable. The difficulty is, is learning how to protect yourself without becoming an absolute cow and without becoming absolutely so hardened that we lose connection. And one of the, I think, you know, one of the things I think was the greatest sort of learning curve, but there are two moments particularly. One was when I did a show called Dancing on Ice, where I was able to turn around and say, I have no idea how to do this. I have no idea. And to be honest, that was sort of the first time I thought, that's okay. I have permission to go, I'm rubbish at this, or I can do this, or I fell over today, but I got up. You know, it's all those sorts of things. Nobody ever knows until you do them how uh, how much of a sort of a life lesson they are. It's ridiculous. Um, but then what you do is when you show your, your vulnerabilities, when you can't do something, that's when you win yourself because you know that you've shown that you can't do something and that's okay. People will empathize with that. They will understand that. And actually quite often you'll get people open up to you. The other time was, was when I did, um, I was in EastEnders and I was part of a knife crime story, very big knife crime story. And um, I was the mother of my son who got murdered. And um, I remember going, when I was into work, they um, they said, oh, do you mind not having makeup? I was like, yes, fantastic. And, um, and I went, I was in the green room one day. I'd sort of got, I mean, they say, you know, don't have any makeup, but they make you look even well, they grey you out, they put red under your face and, you know, blotchy. And I'm not, I'm not a pretty crier. Nose goes red. Blotchy. I love that. I went to the green room 
and someone said, oh, my God, you look awful. I went, great, fantastic, <laughs> good. And it was liberating to be able to go, yeah. And and also then I couldn't help doing those scenes. It was They were written so beautifully. Um, basically, I spent six months crying. It was very cathartic, but at the same time, uh, the scenes were written so beautifully that I thought, well, if I don't do this completely, utterly with my whole heart, um, just going to be naff. And that's really dishonouring those people who've gone through this in real life. And I felt such empathy. And then after that, I mean, even now, I still get people come up to me and, and pour their hearts out about their situation or somebody in their um, close family that they've experienced this great loss. And that was really liberating um, for me, I mean, also it was very, it was a privilege, but it, it was like, you know what? It's okay. It's actually really good when you just show that side of you where you're vulnerable. Why did it take until those two occasions for you to feel that? Because, I mean, I think I had it in private. Don't worry. I mean, I have it in private, but I think because I was always expected to be perky, as you said, and, and, and because I was not prepared to say my life is a disaster and everything's awful and play the victim I'm not a victim I think there's always somebody whenever you feel a bit miserable about something that's absolutely great feel it but there will always be somebody who has something more going on problem is when you're in the public eye it's very difficult to be all those colors that you you have to be either happy or sad or you're this or that you know you get put in a box and sometimes you play very well in that box and sometimes you go this is what I'm expected to be this is who I am. But I think I just became less, I don't know, fearful mm. of, of just being seen. And I just was more prepared to be authentic. It's much better. And you can't please everyone all the time. That's not your problem, it's theirs. I mean, given that you were basically born into show business, weren't you? You came from a showbiz <laughs> family. Uh, your mum was a dancer, George, not you? Um, the name, I mean, I was sort of Bonnie, but it's, it's Bonita. Bonita. It's Bonita. And you know what? This Bonita thing is now starting to grow. Recently, Sir Russell T. Davis has discovered this. And now all he does is call me Bonita. <laughs> and there's all sorts of people calling me Bonita now. I'm like, what is this about? I was never called Bonita. I was always Bonnie. But you were set on that path at such a young age, weren't you? Well, you say I was set on that path. I wasn't set to perform as a young kid. I was set to train. I was set to to learn. You know, like you would a sports. If you see someone who's got a good sporting and athleticism, you let them run the races, don't you? You let them go to sports. You let them go to football. You let them do, you know, you encourage them in what they feel is their skill or their enjoyment or their talent or their gift. And so that's what happened with me. My family, yeah, it was all in my family, but it was all about learning how to dance. It wasn't about performing. Performing was just by coincidence. Was it nine you were when you went on to Opportunity Knocks? No, I was six when I did Opportunity Knocks. Six. That was that, yeah. But that was just an afternoon. It was a Saturday afternoon in Teddington, and I lived down the road in Twickenham. My mum had a dancing school, which she took over from my great aunt. So my great aunt was a dancer, and she did change her name. She was Gladys Gaylor, and she changed her name to Daphne Delisle because they were all, all those ballerinas of that time, you know, Nina de Balwar and um, <laughs> Alicia Markova was really Alice Marks and things like that. <laughs> so they all changed their names to these flowery names. And uh, she travelled the world and she danced with Pavlova. I, I'd love to know her full story. I mean, I really must go through it sometime. So she came back, opened the dancing school, and then my mother took it over. And so I joined in. When I was born, my eldest sister and my middle sister, the eldest sister was going to go to the Royal Ballet School at White Lodge. She got into that. And my middle sister was at a theatre school called Arts Ed. But, and I just sort of followed on. 
I think it was also the fact that I was completely and utterly useless at any kind of sports. No way. I just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't do the sport thing. It was not me. But it's so interesting because when I think about you, because, you know, we're, well, you're not 60 yet, actually. No. Isn't it? Really? Yes. But we're of a similar vintage. Um, so when I think of you, I think of, Bonnie Langford child star because mm-hmm. I grew I grew up with you yes you know um that's what I think of you as someone who's lived their life in the limelight a child star is that not the way it felt from the inside no not at all I went to things you know like had a nice day out really I went to uh you know Bugsy Malone I was in a series called Just William that was the thing that sort of captured everybody's imagination but I was only in three episodes of that so what I would do is I would do maybe a week's work or a show or something, but it wasn't forever and everything was go to work, have a lovely experience, be with professional people, watch these amazing artists at work, sit there quietly watching them, which I did. I was a real mouse. Um, unless I was doing my job in the right environment, I was not a party pleaser. I didn't ever, ever get up at um, anything and do my numbers and, you know, look at me, I'm on the table dancing. Never Ever, I would rather call you weren't in a, a show off. Not at all. No, not sure. I played these show off kids, mm. um, but the the only time my life really changed, I suppose, was when I was in a show uh, when I was eight uh, called Gypsy with Angela Lansbury, and I was in that for the six weeks that I was allowed at that time. And um, on the last day, my parents were called into the company office to be asked by the producers would would they consider me going to America with the show because the show was going the following year on a tour and then on Broadway. And my parents didn't take it seriously. They thought it was just them being nice, paying me a compliment. And a month later, they phoned and said, have you had any thoughts about this? Have you considered it? And my parents said, no, because we thought you were joking. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, I did go to America with the show for a year. And that was quite life-changing. But I came back from that. I was on Broadway when I was nine and went straight back to school. And in fact, I was at a theatre school and I was only at theatre school because I didn't want to be different and I wanted to learn how to, dance I wanted to learn all those all the theatre craft all the skills that you needed to be able to have a career and sustain it as an adult and everyone did the same thing everybody you know there were kids at that time in Grange Hill all various dramas I was at school with Lena Zavaroni we were all going off if somebody was working it was oh great what are you doing fantastic and I remember when I first went to school I was just about to start Just William when I went to that school and people were like, this is fantastic. Tell us all about it. What are you going to be doing? I mean, you mentioned Lena Zavaroni there. I mean, uh, as I was saying, I, I kind of, as far as I was concerned, I grew up with you and you were the child star. And it's interesting that you didn't perceive yourself to be that way. But I guess the other thing is, because, of course, Lena Zavaroni was Scottish. And, you know, I think it's fair to say we took great pride in Lena <laughs> Zavaroni, yeah. you know, in Scotland, because she was a phenomenal talent, wasn't she? Oh, unbelievable. Was- unbelievable. And I suppose I kind of think of you and Lena Zavaroni around about the same yes. age, these two prodigious talents, and you kind of carried on and managed to deal with things, and Lena didn't. I know. I mean, I think um, there were times when she felt a lot of pressure from that. Um, I know that she felt that she didn't really belong anywhere at times. You know, because the thing I remember about Lena was she was very funny. And, of course, we look at her as if she was a victim, as if she, her life was tragic. But she was very funny. She was really naughty. And she just, you know, we just had a lot of fun. And also we got along together because we understood what was required of us. You know, 
when you when you're doing like we did a TV show together, when you're doing a show like that, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of other people's skills. There's a lot of other technical elements. There's stuff you know. Time is money, and I think we were both of the same uh, understanding that you didn't ever want to be excused because you were a kid. You didn't ever want anyone to use that. Oh well, she's only so and so, and oh the kid, oh the kid. You know. So in some respects, we were more than professional. We were sort of uber professional, so that we were actually better than the adults. We didn't have you know hissy bits. You felt that you had to be actually further than the top of your game in order to not be excused, so that you could be turning around and saying, "My God, these kids—they're just great. They just get on with it." Um, but and we could support each other in that. We understood that you can have a bit of fun, but also. You know, you, you actually enjoy being with someone of your own age that gets it. And that was quite exciting. And we were able to do this show together. And we would go into school and do our school work for about an hour and then go off to rehearsals and all those sorts of things. And it was fun. It was great fun. And we had this lovely show afterwards. Um, and, I, you know, and, and then this friendship. Um, but uh, the thing about Lena, she used to go, you know, I mean, she finished school early because in Scotland you could finish school a bit earlier. So she actually went back to her school um, at home in, in, up, north, up in Scotland. And I think she found that difficult because suddenly there was all this attention, whereas, which she kind of liked, but at the same time, she then wasn't that person who was with people who understood what she did. You know, there wasn't that understanding where you just got on with it, where you had a good time, you know, where you just had a good time, but something was expected of you and that was okay. It was It was the opposite of my life, really. Her life was made a big deal. Mine wasn't. So mine carried on the same. I have two older sisters and, uh, you know, at different times we were each the centre of attention, but very much each of us um, and sometimes much less me because I was young and could just be told what to do and get on with it, whereas my sisters were 10 years older than me, so they were sort of going through all their sort of puberty and their teenage years and all the dramas that went on there, whereas I just stayed quietly in the background and you know, kept a low profile. I think that's the only thing I can think is different is that my home life didn't change um, just because of the work that I did. And so then, and I was very, very lucky when I was uh, 16, I got into Cats, the musical, the original cast. And that sort of took me on that way West End shows and a way you're part of a family and part of a company and you fit into that. Um, and then, and the dance sort of boom came as well. So that kind of did all the energy thing there I think I was perhaps protected in that respect as well in that I wasn't necessarily um usually I was playing some other part mm, yeah I, I see the distinction I mean, did you keep in touch with Lena yes I did and uh towards the end I mean I don't I don't I, I mean, didn't speak to her all the time but you know once in a blue moon we'd, we'd speak and we'd speak for hours <laughs> uh, yeah I did and I was really very um I was really surprised she went ahead with that operation I told her not to um but she's a very determined lady and uh, she would say oh but you're strong and I'd say no, I don't think so I think I think you are very strong and she didn't come through yeah I mean that, that was a very serious operation wasn't it it was it was a brain operation which was to supposedly address her her depression that, that kind of blighted her life didn't it I mean there's so many things and I mean it's interesting Bonnie that you bring it down to almost practicalities you had a different family life you had a different environment and as a child that allowed you to sort of stay grounded but it is so interesting two young kids two young females on a similar path and you know, Yes. 
You, I mean, you can see how people would, say, would think, well, Bonnie was the strong one, but that's and which is a terrible way to say it. And I'm taking retracting that as I say it. But you know what I mean? When the world sees that story, I mean, it's like a, a dramatic script, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, you can look at you can look at it from afar and think, oh, well, it's, you know, that, that, that. But we're all different. Everyone is different and everyone re- responds to things differently as well. My mother used to get a lot of flack about being there because she was my chaperone um, and people would comment on that oh it's the mother oh it's i mean it was the law you do have to have a chaperone you know people will look from outside and see everything in a very different way to how things are within and you know your family your parents do everything the best they feel they can for their child at the time and lena's parents the same as far as location was concerned she moved down to london because obviously that was a, a you know where everything was happening they felt that was the right thing for her to do and it probably was. My parents didn't. I think if I had been made to go and live with somebody else, my parents probably wouldn't have let me. But that was just different people. And also, I was a le- I, I just happened to, as a location, I lived nearer. <laughs> you can go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just fate happens there. I mean, my mum came with me to America for a year. It was a big deal. My parents came out all the time. I think there was a point where it was, shall we move to America? You know, whatever. My sisters were back here. My father had a business back here. So, no, that was a nice adventure. Now you come back and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try and accommodate for things. But ultimately, life stays the same. You can't say that would have been different for her. It's just different people. And I don't think there's, you know, it's very easy to sort of say, oh, well, if, they, if people had done something differently, you don't know. The one thing that really does strike me about you as you tell your story, though, it sounds as if from your family's point of view and your point of view, it wasn't about... Bonnie becoming a star it was about Bonnie working in a profession and building a career in a profession much like somebody might become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a carpenter or whatever is that fair comment yeah I think mine was work experience like you would explain work experience you get the chance to go and spend a day you know if you want to be a doctor you get the chance to go and shadow some amazing surgeon or something they they you happen to know or you win a competition to go and do something and you I was a very serious kid I took things very seriously um I wasn't much of a playful kid anyway um but I I just enjoyed the work that I did and I got to work as a young person with these amazing people you know Angela Lansbury when I was eight it's just and you you know I was such a sponge I would watch these people off stage in rehearsal you don't get the chance to do that when you go and see them on stage you don't know what's going on behind so I got this incredibly um treasured time of seeing how people work and seeing you know in the place that I knew I felt comfortable and that was where I I think I I don't think I ever thought about a career I know my mum said to me at one point oh should we just stop all this business you know should we just leave it now I don't know if she was just saying it so that I would turn around and go oh no no I want to do it but I did and I didn't want to do it I mean I, I don't know I never thought I could do anything else no I wanted to nothing ticked the boxes as much I mean you have been phenomenally successful I mean you've always worked you've had some brilliant roles I think you're coming back in in Doctor Who you're in the West I know um, in the Sondheim show, um, did you ever wish for, and please don't think I've been insulting here, but that higher level of fame, that, that absolute, oh my God, it's Bonnie Langford. Well, I sort of had, I had all that a bit in the 80s. I was on everything. I was literally on everything. And I, I now looking back at that, it was too much. 
it was too much. Um, and I, but I, yeah, would I like to have made multi-million dollar movies? Yeah, that might have been quite nice. I don't know. I just keep going. I just keep going. As long as I can cover my bills and uh, do something that I feel proud of. And there's times when I don't. I think, well, well, that one, we'll put that one, that was a tax bill, or let's put that one under the carpet, let's hope something new comes. And life never ceases to amaze me um, in things. You know, I mean, the fact that 30 years ago, 37 years ago, I was in Doctor Who, and now I'm in it again. I, no way in, in it's, hell it's would I have said travel, that. It's time travel, Bonnie, it's time <laughs> isn't travel. It? Isn't it just, isn't it just? And, you, you know, and I was terrible, really, in that show. I always think, oh. I was in cringing. And, you know, it was a very different time. It was like the crossroads of, you know, it was like eight on antiques for sci-fi. But but it had this wonderful charm. I completely sort of walked away from it, as you would any job. You just get on with the next. And then it's kept coming back to me, Doctor Who. And now I'm just really pleased that I can be part of this sort of new Who-niverse, as they call it. Uh, and it really is fantastically written and produced and all those things that it didn't have before. And I, to be honest... I, I am a bit nervous about it because, you know, the Doctor Who fans are very passionate. They have very fixed opinions about what they want and what they like and will voice that. However, I get the chance to reinvent this character that I wasn't, you know, that was a bit boring and weird and earnest and, you know, a bit squeaky. And maybe we can make her a bit better. Maybe we can flesh her out a bit and make her a little bit more interesting. So uh, that's always exciting. Do you know, it's funny, though, because there you are, having been in the spotlight all these years, successful career, etc., and we don't know much about Bonnie's private life. Is that a conscious decision? Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to be able to shut the door and go, you know, have your quiet space and have your privacy. I think it's better to stay. I, I went through a phase as well when I, I was just such an open book. I tell everybody everything. And uh, then that gets used and abused, and you just think, oh, that's embarrassing. And that I found hard was to trust people to be able to sort of, you know, I didn't, there was a time I think I thought I was a bit of a joke. I did, you know, it was always, oh, she is, you know, and I thought, well, who am I really? I don't know. And, uh, and who are why, people? Why was reacting? that? Because people would, you don't know whether people are reacting to you because they think they know you off the telly or, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, this sometime old friends and Yarrow, who's, fabulous singer and an and, and actor he's just fantastic he's a young guy and he calls me bonnie langford off the telly and uh, <laughs> we have a laugh about it um but he, you know there was a time when i did think i was on the telly more than i was probably at home and um uh playing this you know lovely person always lovely always bright and sometimes sort of smacked down for that and also smacked down for the fact that um you know I, you do wonder who is seeing you for you and who is seeing you for what it might do to them or whatever. And I was, you know, I just found it hard to trust people. And, and you know, and also know who you're going to be. And you get hurt by people and you think, well, why would that happen? Um, and that happens in life anyway. But to do that when you think, who are they actually, who are they behaving to, you know, who are they talking to? Are they talking to Bonnie Langford or were they talking to Bond? <laughs> you know, mm. who is that? Is this woman? Is this person? I don't really know who she is. I don't know who she is. How can they know who she is? Um, and we all come to that time at different points in our lives, don't we, where we have to sort of mm. find ourselves. And I'm not sure we ever do, but at least we can be happier with perhaps who we are. And I, I love, I'm a real people person, and I do like to make 
yeah, make people happy or make the um, atmosphere fun and enjoyable. And but I do, I do think it's really important to be authentic with people, and that can be very difficult. And when someone might go and gossip mm. about you and think, "Oh, don't do that," have you put a wall up? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, a very small one, but. For the, for the for the inner part, yeah, you do. You go right, okay. I don't really let anyone in my home. I don't do that. I don't. I mean, I'm probably just a very unsociable person. <laughs> but I'm. I will if I meet someone out. I'll meet them out for coffee. I'm quite. I'm really quite private. I will. You know, I've got my little doggy, and um, I'll walk in the park. I'll wear my sweatshirt generally that says "Don't speak to me," which is uh, the one I had on that last dance. <laughs> You know, I'll talk to someone, and I, to be honest, it's actually really nice having my dog because I know more about the dogs than I do about the people I talk to. And also, you know, when you have a dog, people talk to the dog, and then they talk to you, but they never actually know the person's name. You only know the dog's name of the owner or whatever, and that's quite nice. But there, they, you know, they, it will take a lot for people. There's only a few people that I would really be able to share anything much with. I keep quite a lot inside. But I mean, although. You you want to be private about your private life. You still yeah. want to have a private life, you know. Yeah. You, you well, you're, you're single as as far as I know, but I mean relationships yeah. in life. How how do you have them? Well, you I don't know. <laughs> when you have you know that level of course, I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, you do, most people stick to whatever work they're in or whatever social circles they're in. You tend to be with people that you meet in those social circles or in those work circles, don't you? Because you don't really step out of that because A, somebody doesn't really understand what you do and B, you don't really know what their motives are. What's that about? What is that about? It's hard to sort of go there, isn't it? I suppose it's just a trust thing. It's just meeting someone that you maybe go, oh, that's great. We have a connection. But you have to always work through whether that connection is a truthful one or you, whether you're on the same level or whether you're not or I don't know. That's It can be quite a difficult navigation system. I need a sat nav on that one. Yeah, you mentioned trust quite a few times. I have, haven't I? Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking about today. I don't know why. So yeah. how do you look forward then? Your 60th birthday is coming up. Oh, um, my God. How does that feel? Do you know what I was saying the other day? It's, the terrible part is, is that people go, oh, 60 or any age, any age, especially with women, it's their so-and-so-and-so-and-so age. Really? What does that matter? It's a number. So there's all that. And then there's that whole thing of, so the awful part is, is that if someone passes away and they're in their 60s or whatever or younger, it's, oh, my gosh, they're so young. But when we're alive, it's, oh, they're 60. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. We just need to live our lives, mm-hmm. just live what we are. But who is Bonnie going to be if you're not able to work anymore? Oh, gosh. Why am I not able to work? What have I done? Who's <laughs> <laughs> taking that away from me? Why am I not able to work? Uh, it's just going to be, you know, I don't know. What would I do? I'll be a dog walker. But have you thought about what you would do? No. I don't think I would ever retire. What if the jobs dry up? Oh, it's a oh don't big. say that, Ken. <laughs> oh. uh, I quite like the fact that I can be like being in Doctor Who. So I, you know, I, I've just been in a couple of episodes that were absolutely fantastic. Um, I embraced also all the different, there were certain elements, the things I had to do in that. 
that when I was younger, I would have gone, oh, no, I mustn't do that. I must look nice at all times. And they, that I had to do some pretty craggy things. And I loved it. It was great. And I was so proud of the fact that I wasn't that young person thinking, oh, but I have to look pretty. My hair has to look nice. It was like, you know, give me all that stuff. Shove all that stuff on me. I love it. Good, good, good. Do crazy things. They made me drive a Vespa. It was fabulous. It was mad. I thought it was hysterical. Um, and years ago when I did it, I would have gone, oh, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. And I would have, you know, I would have done it, but it would have, it would have been a bit, oh, no, you mustn't. And I think that was a bit to do with my mum as well, who's very sort of old-fashioned and it's all, you have to be nice at all times and do lovely things and be, you know, all that stuff. That's gone out the window for me. I'm so proud of myself for that. You are the queen of the positive spin, I tell you. Right. Oh, yeah. But I'm not really. I mean, I can be a miserable old cow when I feel like it. And I, I'm, I don't know, but I hate my birthday, actually. I get really embarrassed. I hate my birthday. I don't like being the one that people are singing to or whatever. I just go, I don't tell anyone. I don't tell anyone. <laughs> God, you are a mass of contradictions. Well, you really are. Listen, Karen's got a couple of questions for you. So I would like from you two numbers between zero and 60. Okay, 22. 60 role model. Who's your 60 role model? The person you'd like to grow into. Someone like Judy Dench. All those women. I look at those women now. The sort of the Judy Denches, the Miriam Margulies, the you know we think they're crazy ladies, but my God, they're fun. The Helen Mirrens, the sort of the throw the yeah throw it out the window. You know those those sort of role models that go, yes. Yeah, so what? I'm an age, and why does that define me? Uh, right, another number, one other number, please. Okay, well I'll do nineteen. <laughs> do you get heartburn? No, I don't. I don't really. But I don't drink, I don't smoke. I am probably the most boring guest you've ever had when it comes to those sorts of things. One final thing, and we'll have to let you go, but you described yourself as a serious kid. Are you having more fun now than you did as a kid? Absolutely. Yeah, I was quite studious. And uh, and I had my very quiet moments, but I'm much more fun now. So I'm doing this show, sometimes old friends at the Gilgood. It, some of it can be very serious, and the, the the music is absolutely glorious. But we have a lot of fun backstage. At the moment, I'm, we're teaching Bernadette Peters Cockney uh, Rhyming Slang, which she doesn't get at all. And she'll come off from singing something like Send in the Clowns, which is a very serious, beautiful, beautiful song, and she'll come off, and I'm waiting in the wings to go on for Sweeney Todd, and she goes, all right, as your shanders. So <laughs> <laughs> as your chandeliers is, and it just cracks me up. Oh, obviously, it has to work with the show mustn't get in the way but we have got to have fun and I would not have done that as a young person well listen it's been it's been such a lot of fun speaking to you today Bonnie thank you so much thank you thanks lovely to meet you bye bye Bonita goodbye next week we are heading back to the 80s with former Radio 1 DJ Mark Goodiebags Goodier he's a self-confessed workaholic but after he had two strokes at the age of 55 he was forced to slow down a bit. Keep your emails coming in. It's podcast at htb60.com. Mm-hmm.